was, this has, I'm going to start out with something that has nothing to do with this sermon, but I, I was just thinking, I, yesterday I was reading in this book about church history, and it had a quote from um, Jerome. And it's talking about uh, how church services were conducted in the, uh, the second century, you know, pretty, pretty early on. And uh, it, it seems that the, the congregation would stand the entire time and the person speaking would sit. So it looks like, looks like to, to me we're doing things backwards here. But, uh, okay, now we'll start the sermon. Find a stool. To... Anyway, um, when we lived in Longview, Texas, Chris and I had a, a, a friend uh, we'd see him when we would go for a walk around this lake that we like to take the dog out to. And uh, this guy's name was Mike. And he, he was a really nice guy. We used to talk to him a lot on the walks because we'd always end up running into him. He, he would be out there taking pictures, be- beautiful artistic pictures. And um, Mike claims to be an atheist. He, he grew up in a, a, a very religious family a very uh, religious fundamentalist church. And uh, sadly, I, I don't think he ever knew Jesus. He never, he never knew who Jesus was. He never knew Jesus. And uh, even, even though his parents were very staunch uh, churchgoers, they, they did not model the, the character of, of Christ at home. And, uh, yeah, he told us stories about that. I'm not going to go into that, but... Um, you know, both his family and, and the church he was in were, were very legalistic and, and judgmental. And, um, you know, God's love was not an important element in, in their lives. And, you know, when, when pressed to talk about it, about Jesus, uh, you know, he, he would say things like, well, you know, Jesus was a, a very moral person. He had he had a lot of great ideas, uh, such as love. You know, he was he was a good teacher. He had a, he had a following, but you know, he didn't he didn't mean to start a new religion, which Jesus didn't start a new religion. <clears throat> but uh, you know, Mike views Christianity as just one choice among many. He he, he said, all faiths are valid. All faiths are valid, and. You know, he knew we were believers because we, we were very open about it. Uh, we, we were followers of Jesus, and uh, he knew that I was a pastor. But, you know, he still considered us his friends. Uh, we considered him our friend. And uh, I, I still pray for him when, when he comes to my mind uh, that, he, that he might come to know Jesus. But um, I pray that he knows the, the real Jesus, you know, not, not the Jesus that uh, he's develop the picture of Jesus that he's developed in in his mind because I think that's a very faulty view you know his his Jesus is a different Jesus and what I'm leading up to here is uh, we we all need to ask the question who is Jesus and uh, the second question which which is in our text what will we do with him who the, who then is this is the the name of this uh, the title of this sermon who then is this? Who is Jesus? How do we respond to him? You know, this is this is one of the most important questions we can ask. Who is Jesus? And remember, before Jesus and his disciples were 
were hit by this uh, this great storm on the uh, Sea of Galilee. Jesus was teaching about the the kingdom of God. You know, he'd been teaching them with with parables. Uh, he he illustrates the the kingdom of God, this inbreaking kingdom of God with with parables. You know, parables of the sower and the seed and, and so forth. And then Jesus, when he's through te- with his teaching, he's, he says to his disciples, let's, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side of, of the sea, the lake. And, uh, you know, this starts a, a section in the book where Jesus continues to demonstrate this, this kingdom of God in practical ways by performing miracles, demonstrating his, his power demonstrating his his lordship over nature his lordship over the uh, this the supernature the, the spiritual realm his lordship over sickness and and death and so last week you know, we looked at this storm on the sea of galilee about how jesus calmed the storm just by speaking you know just in the, in the same way that, that he created the world, just by speaking, he, he calmed this storm by speaking. He said, peace be still. You know, we looked at uh, how God allows us to, to go through storms. But th- we're not through with this storm yet. Uh, I've been asked several times, isn't that a mistake? You know, didn't we already cover Mark uh, 4.35? No, no, we're not, we're not through with the storm yet. I'd like to continue looking at this this storm event, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at the events that that follow once Jesus gets to to the other side. We we have parallel stories here, which which demonstrate the lordship of Jesus. These these two events are related in a way that helps us to see. Uh, how we should respond to Jesus, and also how we should not respond to Jesus. We have, a, we have a, a, a negative example and a positive example. We can learn a lot by how the disciples reacted during and, and after the storm, and also by looking at how this man who Jesus encounters and delivers from demons responds. So what I'd like for us to do today is to... Uh, to see Jesus, to consider him, consider who he is, who he really is, and how to respond. So we'll look at these events which talk about Jesus' power over over nature and and supernature, the supernatural. Okay, so first, uh, let's let's talk about Jesus' power over nature and supernature. Okay, let's, let's, let's go back to the storm. Let's go back to the storm. Jesus tells his disciples, tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. Of course, Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen. So they get into this boat. Jesus goes to sleep under the, under the stern deck. There's a great storm. Hurricane force winds and the boat's taking on water. Uh, these disciples, they're, they're fearing for their lives, and I think rightly so, and they wake up Jesus and say, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Uh, it says he awoke, rebu- rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's where we get the title of this sermon. Who then is this? Now, some, some biblical scholars will say that uh, this storm was, was brought on by, uh, by Satan. That, that maybe it was uh, of, of demonic origin. Others will say, oh no, you know, God controls the weather. He's, you know, he's the master of the sea. I'm not going to speculate, but I'll say that, you know, God is, is sovereign. Either way, he's in control. You know, if, if demons can cause storms, uh, it's by God's permission. You know, remember Job, the book of Job, there, there was a storm that um, was brought on by, by Satan. You know, there's a storm that, that killed his sons and daughters. And in Job chapter 1, 18 through 19, his messenger comes to Job and he, he has a report. He says, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they're dead. <clears throat> and I alone have escaped to tell you. And so, you know, when we um, then go back to this, this storm on the, on the Sea of Galilee, um, we can see a parallel to a previous thing that happened in chapter 1, uh, Jesus casting the demon out. Mark 1, 21 through 28. Remember that uh, when Jesus encountered the man with the demon, it says that he rebuked him. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And these are the same words that Jesus said to the storm. When Jesus called, calmed the storm, he said, peace, be still. And, you know, the word in the original language is, is the same. It, it means literally be silent or, or be muzzled. It's the same word Jesus uses when he uh, speaks to the demon in, in chapter 1. Now, the Bible calls Satan the uh, the prince of the power of the air and also the the ruler of the world. But yeah, we also have a lot of scripture that talks about God, who is the one who who's the master over nature and of the weather. For example, in Jeremiah fifty one sixteen, it says, "When he utters his voice, there is a tumult in the waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses." In any case, he's, he's in charge. You know, Jesus turned the great storm into, uh, into a great calm. The, the wind, the sea, the, the, they obeyed him. And he shows himself to be the Lord over nature. Now, when we, uh, let's, let's read chapter 5, starting with 1, 1 to 20, and we're going to see a different kind of storm. A different kind of storm. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the uh, Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. 
Day and night among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And when Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. So we begin this encounter when Jesus says, let's go to the other side. You know, Jesus now is, is crossed to the other side of the lake. Well, what's on the other side of the lake? This is the Gentile side. This is the side of the lake a, a good Jew would avoid. People just... Don't go there. But, but Jesus went there. He crossed over to the other side. Jesus went to the, this place that a, Jew, a good Jew just would never go to, but he goes over there just apparently with the purpose of, of having this encounter with this man possessed by the legion of, of demons. So not only is this a Gentile territory, but um, you know he encounters this guy who's, Possessed by an unclean spirit. This guy lives in the tombs. This would, you know, the tombs, this, this is another place that a Jew would not go. It's, it's considered unclean. It's an unclean place. There's, there's dead bodies there. Plus there's, there's pigs in the local area. You know, this, this is just completely outside of a, a Jew's element here. But Jesus is willing to go there to bring deliverance to this man. Oh, what what love. Now, the way the demons address Jesus show that they're trying to intimidate him. When Jesus asks the demon's name, he says, we are, we are legion. You know, this is, a, this is a military term. We are legion. It's a, it's a show of power and force. Uh, a legion in the Roman army is uh, 3,000 to 6,000 Roman soldiers. But guess what? They're, they're no match for Jesus. He, he tells the demons, come out of the man. And when they begged him to enter a herd of the pigs, they did. This is really strange stuff. And Jesus says, okay, fine. He casts them out. They enter the swine. They rush down the steep bank into the sea. So the unclean spirit possesses these unclean animals in, in a very chaotic scene of destruction. 
Um, how does this apply to us? You know, we need to we need to know. We need to be assured that Jesus is stronger than any storm. He's stronger than any enemy that can come against him. He's he's stronger not just than or more than just, stronger than more than just physical storms, but other types of storms. You know, the kind of storms that we talked about last week, the storms we encounter, storms of sickness, storms of relationships, financial storms, uh, storms in our jobs, um, spiritual storms. I, I don't think there's any end to the, the kinds of storms that we can find ourselves in. I like the way one commentator says it. He says, reading Mark helps one to learn to trust in a Savior who does not deliver us from storms, but through storms. Let me say that again. Reading Mark helps us, helps one to learn to trust in a Savior who does not deliver us from storms, but through storms. And those who know Jesus know that, that he is Lord. He is Lord. So, you know, Jesus demonstrates very well here that he's the, he's the Lord over nature, the natural order. Also, he has power over the, the spirits. He's the Lord over the supernatural, over supernature. And Jesus is, you know, he, he, he brought the uh, disciples along. He did, just didn't go there by himself. He could have. But he's demonstrating, he's teaching his disciples something very important. He's demonstrating to them and teaching them who he is. And, you know, if, if this is a test, I think the disciples, we could say, are getting kind of low scores. Let's look at the, uh, the disciples' response to what happened, to what Jesus did. First, it says they were, they were terrified of this great storm while Jesus is just calmly sleeping under the, under the deck. You know, they didn't, they didn't realize that Jesus could sleep like this because he is Lord. He's, he's in control. He trusted in God. But they're in a panic. They're experiencing fear. You know, they, they had seen the things that Jesus had already done. Jesus had done quite a quite a few miracles by this point. You know, the, the blind were able to see, the lame were able to walk. Demons had been cast out. Jesus had been teaching them about, about the kingdom of God. You know, John the Baptist, this great prophet, John the Baptist had, had testified to who Jesus was. But the disciples, you know, at this point uh, really hadn't put two and two together yet. You know, even even having been with Jesus and even having heard his teachings and observing the things that he did, they didn't they didn't get it. And Jesus asked them, Do you still have no faith? You know, as as if Jesus is trying to prompt them, you know, guys, there's there's a reason for faith. Where is it? Don't you remember the things that you've seen? You know, don't don't rem- don't you remember me telling you that um, I have revealed to you the secrets of the kingdom? You know, you sh- you should know now that that you can trust in me. 
So I want us to notice a couple things here. You know, what, what did the demon call Jesus? He rightly identified him as Jesus, the son of the most high God. Remember what the demon in chapter 1 said. He, he called him uh, the holy one of God. They, the demons knew who Jesus was. But what did, what did the disciples call him after the storm? Master, they called him teacher, which is true. He was their teacher, their, their rabbi. But he had already revealed, him, revealed himself as much more than just that. And, you know, we can, we can be smug about the disciples. We can, we can look back on them and, you know, kind of say, well, you know, they, they were real dense. They didn't get it. Uh, you know, we can, we can see where, where they failed. And this is one of the things we really need to appreciate about the Bible, uh, the, the veracity of the Bible. You know, the, the disciples never try to cover up their, their mistakes. You know, if... If this is just legend, as some have proposed, these disciples would be portrayed as people who don't make mistakes, you know, mighty people, but they weren't. The Bible tells it the way it is. Anyway, you know, they they are obviously deeply flawed people, and we need to watch it because so are we. So are we. I don't think any of us would have done any better yeah, we, we need to remember for them, uh, the pieces of the puzzle are just beginning to, to, to come together. Uh, last, last year when Chris and I were uh, stuck at home with COVID for you know, 10 days or whatever it was, we, we put together a bunch of puzzles. I don't know how many we did, maybe three or four puzzles, something we hadn't done in years. And uh, you, know how it, you know the strategy for putting a puzzle together. You start with the corner pieces and the edge pieces and... Uh, you know, I, I think that um, the disciples were, were in that process of, of putting the edge pieces together in their, in their picture of Jesus. And something else I, I really appreciate when I do a puzzle is having a, a picture, a completed picture on the box cover so that you can see what, what the uh, end result, what the product of this uh, endeavor is. What's that? No, they didn't have that. We do, you know, so it's, it's, it's easy for us to look back and, you know, having that big picture in mind, but uh, they were just, they were just beginning, you know, they, they still had a lot of uh, lessons to learn, some very hard lessons at, at that, you know, and so even, even though the response wasn't always the best, I think we need to cut them some slack. Uh, remember back in the first chapter of Mark when Jesus chose his first disciples, Simon and Andrew, they were professional fishermen. And Jesus told them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You remember the, in the age, we talked about this in the ancient world, the, the sea was, was a place of chaos and darkness and uncertainty. It was, it was a place of, of storms, uncontrollable storms, uncontrollable for us anyway, not God. You know, only, only God can tame the sea. Only God can calm the waves. And Jesus shows that by his words, uh, 
the wind and the sea obeyed. He's showing his deity. He's showing that he is God, demonstrating himself to them that he himself is God in the flesh. And what does it say? It says, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey them? You know, their, their fear overcame their faith. So when the storm was raging, Jesus was sleeping. Uh, the storm seemed larger and stronger than Jesus in their eyes. Where's your faith, Jesus says. Do you, do you still not believe? Well, how about us? You know, can, can we have a deficient view of Jesus? Yes, we can. Who, who is he to us? Um, you know, if he's, if he's just a great historic figure who we admired, who we admire and, and we like to read about, uh, is that who he is? Is, is he just a, merely a, a great teacher? Um, do we do we even try to do the things he says to do? You know, say in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, this great sermon where Jesus shows us the the heart of God towards his his people. Um, shows us how we should live. You know, if uh, it, and it is great teaching. It's, it's teaching that we should take to heart and, and obey. But if that's all there is, if that's all there is, if, if Jesus is just a great teacher, our view of Jesus is deficient. You know, we, need, we, need to, we need to move beyond knowing about Jesus. And we do need to know about Jesus, but you know, that's, that's a first step. We need to know him. We need to know him. We need to we need to know him as as our Lord and as our God. Remember, Mark Mark said that when when Jesus picked the apostles, he he, he said that uh, he chose them so that they would be with him, and so that he could send them out to preach and to cast out demons. That was Mark 3, 14 and 15, by the way. You know, our, our desire should be to know him, to be with him, to experience him in our lives, to experience his, his presence, to obey him. You know, other, otherwise, he's just a, he's a great teacher is all. You know, do we, like the apostles, do we, do we fear do we fear because we don't believe that he's in control? Do we fear because we don't really believe that, that he's with us? Or do we trust him and are we, are we able to rest even, even in a storm because he's with us? Well, Mark next records uh, only one event that um, occurs on the other side and it was this encounter with a guy that would probably scare the daylights out of us if we were to uh, run into him. You know, plus remember when this happened, when they got to the other side, the, the disciples were still in this state of fear, great fear, it says. And Jesus 
walks them into this more scary situation. You know, this is, this is well outside their, their comfort zone. Let's look at the uh, response of this, this man. This man who becomes a disciple, a new disciple. You know, be, before we talk about this, uh, this creepy guy who lives in the tombs, you know, there's an application for us here as well, isn't there? You know, are we willing to go to the other side? Are we, will, are we willing to go into places where maybe we are without or, or, or beyond our comfort zone, outside of our comfort zone, to, to share the gospel? You know, will, will, we, will we be willing to uh, share the good news of Jesus with people we're not, un, or we're not comfortable around, people who maybe we'd rather avoid? You know, are we able to, are we willing to, to hang out with, with people who, who don't know Jesus? Are we willing to be seen with people who most other church people might be embarrassed to be seen with? And Jesus wasn't. You know, this, this was an unlikely place for uh, Jesus to go. It was an unlikely place for Jesus to bring his disciples. And this is, this is an amazing story because Jesus is bringing the good news. He's bringing deliverance and salvation to a Gentile. He's, he's starting his ministry here with, with a Gentile not a Jew. You know, it appears that, well, that, that first guy in, in chapter one was, was a Jew. But it seems like saving this guy was the main reason Jesus went to, probably the only reason Jesus went to the other side of the lake, that and to uh, instruct the disciples. But what I want us to see is how this guy sees Jesus, how he reacts to, to his rescue in uh, contrast to the disciples, let's, uh, let's look at what he does when Jesus is getting ready to leave. Jesus is taking his disciples now back to the, uh, the side where they had come from. And starting in verse 8, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Did you catch that? That he might be with him. This guy wanted to be with Jesus. And he did not permit him, but he said to them, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So we see those two elements, with him and being sent out. You know, Jesus, from the get-go with this guy, after he was delivered, he says, now go out, tell, tell people what happened to you. Tell people how God has delivered you. you know, how does this man see Jesus? He sees Jesus as his savior. He sees Jesus as one he, he longs to be with. He, he'd experienced uh, these demons and he'd experienced a deliverance from them. Delivered from these these demons who had really made his life a living hell, and you know he's, he he knows who his deliverer is. 
that he's grateful. Now, Jesus' plan for this guy is that he would, he would go home and tell his friends, tell them what Jesus had done. So Jesus is sending this Gentile out to preach even before sending out the 12. This is remarkable. You know, this is, this is what Jesus wants of his disciples. And so he, this guy did go home. He did go home. He proclaimed Jesus and people were marveled. Or people marveled. They were amazed. You know, it's interesting that, that even the demons had a better grasp on who Jesus was than the other disciples. And that the, the new disciple, this Gentile who'd been delivered, ended up being a, a truer disciple than the 12 at this point. Yeah. You know, so uh, why does Jesus call us to be disciples? You know, he wants us to be with him. He wants us to, uh, to proclaim the good news to our friends, our families, our neighbors, our, everyone else, everyone else. You know, our, our desire should be with, to be with him and to obey him. There's an author uh, named Sky Jathani. He's, he's the editor, editor of the uh, Pastor's Journal, and uh, he wrote a book called With, just a single word, With, W-I-T-H. Very good book. In it, he discusses the uh, different postures that people take with God. Let me, let me quote from him. He says, life under, over, from, and for God, each seeks to use God to achieve some other goal. God is seen as a means to an end. For example, life from God uses him to supply our material desires. Life over God uses him as the source of our principles of laws. Life under God tries to manipulate God through obedience and secure blessings and avoid calamity. And life for God uses him in his mission to gain a sense of direction and purpose. These things aren't bad within themselves, but life with God is different. Because its goal is not to use God, its goal is God, he says. He ceases to be a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Instead, God himself becomes the focus of our desire. But before we can really desire God, we must have a clear understanding of who he is and what he is like. The reason most people gravitate to one of the other four postures is because they've never received a clear vision of who God is, and so they settle for something different. So who then is this? You know, this is, again, the most important question we can ask. Who is Jesus? This is where the cults fail. They're always, they're always wrong about Jesus. They're always wrong about who Jesus is. You know, the, the, the Mormons see Jesus as a man who became a god, one among millions. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses see Jesus as the archangel Michael. Islam sees Jesus as a great prophet and nothing more. Just another prophet along with Jonah and Moses and other prophets. 
Um, you know, even, even we can have a deficient view of Jesus if we don't see him as, as God made flesh. You know, he is, the Bible says he, he created all things. He's the one who holds all things together. He has absolute power over nature, absolute power over the spiritual realm. You know, we, we need to see him in his power and his glory. We need to know him as, as our Lord, as, as the one the Father sent to die on the cross for, for the forgiveness of our sins, the one who was buried and raised from the dead so that we could have eternal life. John first chapter 10 through 13 speaks of him, why he came. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So who is Jesus to you? We, we need to know Jesus as he is to desire to be with him, to desire to obey him and to be his witness to all people. And um, if there's anyone here, if you don't know Jesus, uh, we've got good news. John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Just believe in Jesus. Trust in him to forgive your sins and, and give you eternal life. Um, if you'd like to do that this morning, I, I would invite you to come talk to me after the service or talk to... Uh, one of the elders, Matt's here, Tom's not here, pretty much anybody else in here would be able to uh, speak to you about it if you have any questions. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for coming to earth. Lord, you, uh, you humbled yourself and you became a servant. You came here to seek and save that which is lost and that's that's all of us lord you came to give us a, a life which is is an abundant life one in which we can know you and one in which we can be with you lord help us to to live in the knowledge of of who you are lord help us respond to your invitation. Let us enjoy your, your presence, Lord. And we pray in, in your wonderful and powerful name. Amen.